I'm excited about what the Lord's doing. I have kind of two things on my heart this morning, but really, I just want to encourage you today. Um, we are in a really exciting time as a local church, and um, most Sundays, this is like full, full, and we have people having to stand and sit outside, and so we are praying for more space or for wisdom as to how to use this room uh, better or, or a place that will <laughs> be bigger, um, or just a bunch of millions of rands so we can just get onto the land real quick. Uh, either way, I'll take it. Um, but what's beautiful is that it's not really about the room that we gather in or, you know, we could gather under a tree together, um, you know, with a guitar with only four out of the six strings and Jesus would still show up. Um, he's so in love with us. He's so in love with his church. So I want to encourage you. You know, I say this all the time. Um, if, you, if you came to church today for a, a neat um, you know, well-structured and well-ordered service. Um, that's never been our pursuit or our heart or our intention. Um, sometimes the Lord just does things in that way, and it's beautiful, and I have nothing against that. But I just want you to, like, change or, or shift your expectations from coming to church as you know it and realizing that you're a part of the kingdom of heaven, that God's moving, and, and He's moving across our nation. He's doing things in South Africa that are so beautiful, so profound. But can I just say this? I'm convinced and when I say convinced, I mean, you can't change my mind. Uh, I'm absolutely convinced that the answer to the nations is the church. And let me just be clear about what I mean when I say the church. I'm not just talking about the people of God. I'm talking about the local church. And you say, why? Why would you say that? Well, um, when, you, when you study the Word, you study the Scriptures, the one thing Jesus is building is the church, and it just so happens that it looks like local expressions in towns and cities and villages across the world that are connected together as one global body. I don't, I don't care the denomination or the whatever, whatever expressions it looks like. We're connected. And, and I want you to know this, that, that I know we're, we're talking a lot about unity in the churches. And I, I know I'm aware of the brokenness and the scatteredness and the stuff that's going on. But I think we've been praying for unity for so long and we've missed something. And that's that we are one. Jesus made us one. We're, we're praying for something Jesus already gave us, and we seem to do that a lot sometimes in our Christian walk. We seem to ask God to do things for us that He already did 2,000 years ago on the cross. So what we should be praying for is love. Love for one another. Love for the churches and the communities where we'd really serve one another and, and want to build together, despite maybe the, the many little things that we might disagree on from an expression point of view, but if we can agree on the worthiness of Jesus that we'll begin to see Him move across the nations like we've never seen before, where you'll see a submission to one another that has nothing to do with who gets to control what, but it has to do with a group of people that are built on His presence, that will do anything and pay any price to see the presence and the glory of God, the government of God established in a region. And so I just get excited because I know that the Lord's doing this, um, but it's the local church that I believe is, is carrying the key and the answer to unlock cities, regions, and nations, and I'll tell you why. Because I can, I can travel, you know, we, we travel into the Middle East and things, and I can go there and I can inspire, I can equip, I can provoke, I can encourage, I can comfort, I can do all those things, but I'm not there week in and week out. And the local church is. 
And they're the ones who will lift up the, the fragrance of worship day in and day out. They're the ones who will disciple those that are getting saved. They're the ones who will comfort those who mourn. They're the ones who will see Isaiah 61, 1-3 happening in everyday relationships, in, in people's homes, in their lounges. And, and so can I just say this, that big events, we just had an awesome one yesterday with, with Sean Foyt. It was incredible, uh, just provoking South Africa to, to rise up and do what God's called us to do. But can I just say this to you, that those events are there to provoke you. They're not the answer. Those events are there to provoke you, but the answer is you and me every day, loving Jesus, loving one another, stepping into all that God's called us to, being the people of God. Amen? So can I even be as bold as to say this? I know I'm, I'm, I'm cheeky sometimes, but I don't mean it cheeky. I just want to say this. I know uh, there's this statement, and I know Sean and them say it, and it's so beautiful. The church has left the building. Love it. Awesome. We were never about a building. We were never about being in a building or being outside of a building. It just so happens that buildings work to get people together, right? So maybe let's just shift the focus and say it's not so much about trying to get you out. It's trying to make sure you know who you are. If the church knows who they are, I promise you we're going to fill a lot of buildings. So I'd really like it if we don't just completely leave the buildings because we wouldn't have any sort of government or structure or expression of local church. No, actually, we need to gather. I don't care if it's in a stadium in a house with five people, 50,000 people, or 60 people in a room. We need to gather. But if you know who you are, that's not the, that's not the extent of your expression. That's just the war room. That's just where we get together and, and start to get equipped and excited about what God's doing. But actually, when you leave this place, that's where the kingdom of heaven comes alive in you and, and begins to be expressed through you in your sphere of influence and what God's called you to do. And so even when we talk about hosting the presence of the Lord as a church, we're not just talking about global prayer room sets. Two hours on a Monday, two hours on a Wednesday, two hours on a Friday. If it was just about that, man, it would be really exhausting. We'd have to get everybody doing things nonstop, 24-7, 365, in every single building in all of Johannesburg if that was the answer. The point is something happens when a community commit themselves to leaven. Because when you do that, you begin to release a sound and a fragrance and, and an atmosphere, a spiritual climate over a region that opens up that area for the kingdom of heaven to begin to invade. And if you say, what are you talking about? Well, it just takes someone who knows four chords to go into a, a, a region that is unreached where there's little to no access of the gospel, and they strum their G, E minor, C, D, and they sing every song to those chords, even if they don't line up, and they play it, and they begin to worship, and it doesn't matter how good it sounds, it's beginning to do something in the atmosphere. See, because here's the thing, there are regions and places on the earth where, where the, the Spirit of God, the glory of God, has not been expressed through man. That's what I'm trying to explain to you. It's like, it's not just about trying to go and, and tell somebody that doesn't know about Jesus. That's vital and important. But there's something that we carry, that even in whatever expression you have, when you just release your sound, when you release your praise, when you begin to worship, when you strum that guitar, you, you know, play that pad on your phone and sing to the pad, something happens in that region and it opens up the environment for God to move. It's because you were born to carry the glory of God. And so when we understand this, we go, man, why do we come to the prayer room? Because when it's just me in my bedroom and my pad and my voice, and I'm playing it from my phone, and I'm singing, Jesus, you're worthy of the highest praise, God's there, and it's beautiful, and He touches me. But something happens when I get together with a whole bunch of people in a room, and we all start doing that. There's this like surge and this faith, and something begins to be released in, a, in an area, in a region. And the next thing, you start to hear testimonies of how God's moving in your area, and you wonder how that happened. You start to see things shift and change. And there's this authority that the church steps into. You know, authority doesn't always look loud. 
It can. Sometimes it's, it is loud. But there's other times when it actually looks like someone on their knees. But authority is, is operating in, in who you are, what you're called to, and standing in what Jesus paid for. So my encouragement to you uh, this morning is that uh, what happened yesterday for our city was really beautiful. Thousands of people getting together, being provoked to worship, to not be told how and what. Thing. We're following Jesus, and that's it, His voice. But I know like I know that if we don't, as local churches, take responsibility to preach the gospel, disciple people, love people, care for the poor, if we don't start to do those things, it becomes just a great event. And that's never been our heart. So the answer to Joburg is not events. The answer to Joburg is the local church. And it doesn't matter. You know, I, I, for me, I, we, we journey with so many different pastors and leaders, and you can easily find things that you disagree on. Uh, so easy, very quickly. But it's not about that. It's about learning to champion each other in the one thing that we do agree on and making sure that what God's told you to do, you're doing with everything that you have. So I want to say this today. I felt like over this last week, the Lord is provoking something in us as a church. And, uh, and there's this line being drawn, and it's time to make a stand in what we know God's called us to do. And, and I think the time to be nice, if there's anything that Sean really did provoke people in, it was like the time to be nice is over. Like love doesn't always mean nice, you know? Right? Because let's be honest, the one thing that we, we can say is that COVID brought a culture with it. Um, and it's evident. Like we've seen that, and, and you know, people have lived in fear, and they've been stuck. And, and what I think the biggest thing, I know fear is, is the, the one that we talk about a lot, and I think it's there. But can I, can I say this? I think COVID brought legalism. I think COVID made everybody feel like they have a right to give their opinion, even if they're not really sure if their opinion's fact or truth or not. And everybody's opinion is, is the ultimate highest truth. And so everybody had something to say. Everybody was criticizing one another, vaccinated, not vaccinated. Uh, you know, is COVID real? Is it not real? Uh, all this stuff came. And what happened was we started to judge each other according to the flesh. Started to measure one another according to what we've decided. And I'm not even getting into all of that, what, what we think or what the opinions are. I, I think the reality is it was, it was a ploy from the enemy to take our eyes off of Jesus put our eyes on the spirit of this age, and we started to listen to another voice. But the local church is still standing. I love, we heard it over this last week, we have 2,000 years of history. You know how many wars and pandemics and whatever you know, that the world's gone through, and the local church is still standing, and churches are still being planted, and the kingdom of God is still advancing, and people are still getting saved and healed and delivered and restored. Because Jesus is building His church. So here's the thing. I just want to make sure I'm building what He's building. Because it's real easy to start to do something out of strain. See, this morning, I could, I could hype you up and provoke you to do something. But if I hype you up, it's dependent on how I hyped you up. And so the moment that I stop hyping you up, we'll stop doing that thing. So even this morning when we were praying, we felt like, man, the Lord's releasing joy. And there is this expression of coming alive. And, but the reality is, if, if we have to make you feel that way, it's not sustainable. But if you see Jesus, His zeal for His house fills you. You're sustained by a zeal that you didn't even muster up. It's a zeal that comes through the Spirit of Jesus. And so it's so vital for us as the church to understand that when you host His presence, the people who host His presence, they're not a passive people. The people who host His presence, they're not, I know there's this like weird perspective of people who talk like that. It's like, no, they like to just go lock themselves in a room and soak for eight hours a day, you know. 
They, I, I promise you, it's just not even, it's not in the Bible. You know, Jesus would have these times where he'd go and even through the night, and that's beautiful. I, I get that and spend time with the Lord. But Jesus was incredibly, uh, I could almost say aggressive in what he was here to do. And he was so focused that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it looks like something. And so everywhere he went, he was intentional about bringing and introducing the kingdom of God. And he was training up a group of people. And this is what I love is, you know, when, when uh, he calls the disciples, a good example is like Peter and Andrew and James and John. There's this encounter of, of just God breaking in. And suddenly, you know, they throw the net on the other side and the fish. And there's so much fish that they're falling into the water and the nets are breaking. And this is a profound encounter. And then Jesus says, follow me. And they drop everything and follow him. It's imp- I think it's impossible. I don't think there's a way to see Jesus and encounter the living God and then carry on with life like it's normal. I think it's impossible. I've never met anybody who's encountered Jesus and just stayed the same. And this morning, I really felt the Lord just His heart for people to encounter the living God. That's why I ended up bringing this Bible. I call this my nation's Bible because it's been with me to every country I've been to. But this is the Bible that I had when the Lord mocked me. This was the Bible I was reading when, when I, I had encounters with the living God that completely shifted my life. I had plans and dreams and things that I thought I wanted to do until I saw Him. Suddenly then those things just seemed really small and insignificant. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, religion will kill you. It just really will. It kills you. It suffocates you. It'll, it'll, it'll drain the energy and the, and the life out of you. But the grace of God liberates you and sets you free to be who you're called to be. So I, I want to talk about that. We've been, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about grace. And um, I'm really encouraged by the response. I haven't had any horrible emails yet. Nobody's thrown anything at me. Um, and I think it's because we're just getting started. It might get a little more intense. Um, but I just want to say this about grace. You know, last week I spoke about righteousness that never fails, and it's His righteousness. You know, sometimes we hear teachings, there's two types of righteousness, um, God's righteousness and self-righteousness. I like to say there's one type of righteousness, it's called God's righteousness, and the second one is an attempt, but it never works. So it never actually achieves righteousness. So we can't call it that, right? So it's, it's God's righteousness and man's attempt, and, and, and we sometimes drift between those two. But here's the wild and crazy thing, is that you have been given righteousness. You didn't earn it. You can't. It's impossible. If you, if, you, if you disagree with me, go back and listen to the last two, three weeks of what we've been teaching into. You were given righteousness. It was imputed to you. It's a free gift, and, and you've got to let that really hit your heart it's not something that you will ever figure out or, or, or become in your own strength. It's what you've been given through Jesus Christ. And, and when He looks at you, He relates to you according to that righteousness. You are right with God. I don't care what your situation is, what your circumstance is. If you've given Him your life, you're righteous. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's what Colossians says. And He's presenting you that way before the Father all the time. So He gives you this righteousness. And it's, it's, it ministers mercy and grace to every single one of us. And I said some, some strong statements last week around Jesus didn't just take your sin, He became it. So I'm going to say it again because we just got to keep offending the religious mind that tries to creep back in and make sure we get it. He didn't just take on your addiction, He became the addict. 
He didn't just take on murder. He became the murderer on that cross. Because the only way the gospel works is a life for a life. There has to be an exchange. It can't just be, hey, you deserve that punishment, so let me take that punishment. No, Jesus became who we were so that we can become who he is. It's a life for a life. Now, when I say it like that, he became who we were so that we could become who he is, you would all agree with that statement. But the moment I say he became an addict, it's like, <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? See, we've we got to make sure we don't play down what Jesus did. We've got to make sure we don't water down how outrageous the cross is. That what Jesus took upon himself was humanity. It's why I said last week, and I'll say it again, to say you're only human. How many of you have heard that statement? We're only human. Well, to say you're only human is to say you're only sensual and demonic. You're not only human. Because it's interesting that what we call humanity, Adam and Eve weren't created that way. What we call humanity came after the fall. That's why I'm just going to quickly hit it. It's why I have a problem with using the word vulnerability so much. Because vulnerability means to touch each other's wounds. Go look at the definition of vulnerability. Vulnerability means to, to touch each other's brokenness, to, to, to completely expose my brokenness to you. You expose my brokenness and we, we're broken. That's vulnerability, I promise you. The word people mean when they say vulnerable is honest. That's what they mean. So it's not, I'm not knocking any teachings. I'm just saying let's just be careful because we start to use this language of brokenness. Embrace our humanity. No, I don't want to embrace my humanity. I want to embrace Christ. Can I tell you why, why we have to hit that one? Because when you embrace humanity, you give yourself a reason not to be like Christ. Or you justify in some way that you think, well, I, you know, it's my humanity, and so I've got to embrace my weakness. Well, let's just make sure we understand what we're talking about. When, when the Scriptures talk about when we're weak, He's strong. That's a dependence. That's not embracing your, your sin. Are you with me? Weakness means I can't do it on my own. That's what Paul was talking about. When I'm weak, he's strong. When I can't do it on my own and I'm dependent on him, his strength, his power, his glory comes alive in me and enables me to be obedient. But I'm not called to embrace my humanity and, and, and brokenness. So, here's the thing about mercy and grace. Mercy, God's mercy is so incredible because he doesn't give you the consequences that you deserve. He took it upon himself. Someone had to take your place, so he did. And he took those consequences. This is why it's so outrageous. You deserve death. You deserve death. Do you get it? So, so this is why we can't regard each other according to the flesh, because it's easy for me to look at somebody on TV who's a criminal and say, put that oak in jail. Oh, but you? Do you see what I'm saying, why we can't regard each other according to the flesh? So mercy is God saying, actually, I took the consequences that you deserved upon myself. That's what mercy is. I didn't give you what you deserve. I need this to be really clear in our hearts. So mercy, one of the, it might sound funny to say it this way, but mercy brings relief. It's like the expression of mercy, when God's ministering mercy to you, it's like, you just don't know what to say or what to do. You're just so relieved and so grateful that, oh my goodness, God, that you would do that. It's like, I, I was, can you imagine? You were meant to be on the cross. You're meant to experience that kind of death. You were meant to be eternally separated from God. 
That's what sin did to you. But His mercy is that the consequences of your sin, which is death, He took upon Himself and He took all of it once and for all and finished it. That's His mercy, right? So mercy is that place of, oh, thank you, God. I'm so grateful. There's no words. But grace, grace takes you far beyond that. See, grace is not just a cover for what I deserved. That's mercy. Grace is when He exchanges something with me and He puts Himself in me and He empowers me and He gives me something that I was never able to do. And He empowers me to be something I was never going to be able to be apart from Him. And suddenly grace mobilizes me to be like Him. Do you get what I'm saying? So people often will say when you preach grace, it's like you give people a reason to kind of just stay the same. Well, you're not preaching grace then. It's impossible, I promise you. When we preach the grace of God, oh, some of you need to smile at me, man. (laughs) Otherwise I get worked up. When we preach the grace of God, something happens on the inside of you. Grace transforms you. Okay, we'll try and, let's go from another route. There's a war for your faith. Everything that you do, everything that you do is by faith. Think about this. You work because you believe that someone's going to put some money in your account because you did that job. Or that that client is going to pay you because you did that job. You actually believe it. You walked in and you sat on a chair without checking if it's going to hold you up and testing it out. You just walked in and sat down because you actually believe the chair will hold you up. You've been told or you've seen, right? Let me, let me put it this way. The world speaks a whole bunch of stuff to us through social media, TV, news, whatever it is, speaks a whole bunch of stuff. There's voices that are coming at you and a lot of us believe that that fact or that thing that's coming at me is truth. So whether you're listening to the voice of the enemy, whether you're listening to your own flesh, whether you're listening to the Lord, all of it, you're designed to live by faith. You were made that way. So there's a war. Think about this in your mind. There's a war for what you believe. There's a war for what voice you'll listen to. There's a, there's a battle for who you will say yes to. What's that? The good fight of faith. Exactly. So what, what are you going to say yes to? This is the question. And, and often the thing about, about the message of grace is that you hear the message of grace, and, and I guarantee you, majority of you, if you're, if you're not stuck in, in a religious kind of thing, legalistic thing, if you're just here going, man, I know I need God, and you hear the message of grace, it's the best news you've ever heard in your life. Where people get stuck is when they leave that place and they don't know how that becomes real in their life. So what happens on Wednesday when you make a mistake and now you just feel absolutely lousy? Or when situations and circumstances crash into your life and things just get nuts. It was a great sermon on Sunday. I, man, I'm so glad our church preaches grace, but I'm not actually living in it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Why is that? It's because we forget that there's a war for your yes. So situation and circumstance comes at you and it's screaming something at you. It's throwing what it would call facts, or, or let's just call it circumstance. It throws it at you and it says, this is your reality. This is who you are. And we have to make a choice. Romans 8 says that uh, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So you have to make a choice. Who's going to lead you? 
So how does grace come alive in your life? Well, it's, it's what are you going to say yes to in every moment of your day? Who are you saying yes to? Who are you following? When life's shouting at you and screaming at you, who's Lord? Grace, the message of grace and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's the same message. You know, I find it so interesting. Um, so many people, even my dear friends, preach this, and I believe in what they're preaching, and, and I, I hear it. But we talk about this need for a holiness movement. We need a holiness movement in the church again. We need a holiness movement across the nation. I go, I, I, I agree. Guess what it's called? The church. Are you with me? It's like, no, now we've got to, we've got to teach on how to stop all this junk and all this nonsense that we're just tolerating in the church and the stats for pornography are so high in the church, it's ridiculous. We've got to address these things and teach these things. And I, I listen to it and I just go like, hold on a second. It sounds like we're reacting to a voice or voices shouting at us a whole bunch of situations, circumstance, and struggle. And we've decided to say yes to that as if that's our identity. Rather than saying, nope, that's not who we're called to be. What does Jesus say that we are? Who does Jesus say that we are? Well, he said, I'm holy and I'm blameless and I'm beyond or above reproach. That's what he said. That's not just me making stuff up. That's in Colossians. You can go read it. He says that he relates to you just as if you've never sinned. Just, oh. <laughs> just as if you've never sinned. I, my head freaks out. I go like, hold on a second. I was really annoyed this week with that taxi guy cut me off and I, you know, fluked him or whatever. Or it's like, and you get upset and you go like, and, and in that moment right there, God relates to me just as if I've never sinned. And then you've got the, the person who's stuck in addiction and struggle and bondage. And maybe they're on this journey and they don't know who they are. And so they're in that, that place of law and grace. Romans 7, law and grace, where I I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do. Do you know how many people, how many Christians are living there? I guarantee you, if I was to open up the, the, the inner world of your life and have a look, every, every single person in this room can relate to what I just said. My heart desires, this is Romans 7, my heart desires to do the will of the Lord, to, to, to follow the law of God. I, I want to be like Him. I want to walk in everything He has. But I seem to not do that. So many of us find ourselves in that place. And it's, it's when we have one foot kind of hearing the message of grace, one foot still measuring ourselves by the law, and we're stuck. And Paul goes, wretched man that I am, who will save me? And then he goes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Do you know, it's interesting, in Romans 7, you should go read this. He actually says that it's the law of sin that's producing that in me. It's not me. No, you don't understand. He just separated your sin from you. He just said, your sin and you are not the same thing. Oh, so you got to start to, there we go, thank you. I was working hard for that, come on. Do you see what I'm saying? He separates your sin and your failure from you. This is right here, Romans 7, go read it. We're going to read a few of these scriptures in a second. It blows my mind that he's going, no, when you're stuck between law and grace, the problem is you still think it's you. You're still looking at your failures and your mistakes and you're tying yourself to that and thinking, because I had the thought, it must be me. Do you know, oh, do you know, what, do you know what addiction is? Addiction is the corruption of desire, but it, it happens because of agreement. Addiction, see, you, you were created to desire God. 
You were, oh, you were created to desire God. I'm like coming alive right now on the inside. You were created to desire God. You were made to want Him. And so the enemy, see, there's nothing desirable about Satan. Nothing. So he can't get you to desire him. So what can he do? He can corrupt the desire that's been given to you for Christ by making you want other things that will never satisfy you and fulfill you because he tells you a lie. And, and what it is is instant gratification. So you think in a moment that it actually satisfies you and then you find that it doesn't. And so he corrupts your desire. But what happens is we get into a cycle of corrupt desire and we give it our agreement and now we actually believe if I have that desire, I must actually want that. And subconsciously what's happening in your mind is you believe that you are that thing. And then shame attaches itself, guilt attaches itself, condemnation attaches itself and now you don't want anybody to know because you just feel lousy. So now we, we, we just put it into, into the darkness, into secret. And then what happens is that those people who have journeyed that, they come to church and then they get told, no, bring it all out on the light. Come up here and confess it in front of everybody. Let's do, let's do an altar confession of your secret sins and let's deal with it once and for all. And all it's doing is just literally amplifying guilt, shame, and condemnation. So now if I come to the front, if I don't weep, am I actually even sorry? If I don't cry, did I even repent? And this is what we're doing week in and week out. Week in and week out. Now, am I against altar calls? No, I love them. But it's got to be in the grace of God. It's like, I want to go, hey, the altar call should be, if you're here and the Holy Spirit's ministering the grace of God to you, and you realize right now in this moment that you're not the sin that you've been doing. You're not stuck in that stuff. Actually, you're free, and God's called you to be righteousness of Christ. Righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Come to the front. Come receive righteousness. That's an altar call. That's like, I'll run to that one, right? I'll be at the front every week. Why? Because suddenly what I'm realizing is that's not who I am. I don't need to go and take my junk and smear it across everybody's faces and say, look how bad I am. Who wants that? Nobody. No, but I can go, hold on. I wasn't made for those addictions and struggles and bondage. I wasn't made for the lies. I wasn't made for depression and anxiety and, and fear and, and lack. I was made for Him. And so when I come and step into the righteousness that He's given me, righteousness that's a gift it's a gift he just wants you to say yes so here's the thing it's a righteous people who now let the righteousness of God work something in them and grace makes me come alive and this, there's, this is the beautiful thing is that in order to have that gift you give your life to Jesus and what happens is you die with him it's the best news ever I promise you it, it was like for me on this journey of addiction and struggle and, and nonsense and lies and depression and suicidal thoughts and you're stuck in this place and you're just going, God, I know you're real. I just can't find my way out. And God's saying, the door's open. It's just that you think this is your home. And you think that because this has happened in your life and all these things have gone on, you think that that's actually defining you. And so people who live in this place are coming to church every week begging for a way out. And then we call it ministry. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And now, I said it last week, then this teaching comes, the church is a hospital for the broken. Dear Lord, help us. How are we supposed to change cities and regions if the same people are just staying in brokenness and coming each week to get a little bit of help to get through that? Intimacy, here's the thing about intimacy. If intimacy is a coping mechanism to get through life, 
I don't know where we're positioned or postured in terms of truth. We call it intimacy sometimes, and really what we're talking about is just this, this strain of trying to find God in the midst of my mess. That's not intimacy. Intimacy is not just me. And, and here's the thing, God, again, His mercy and His grace. If you're in that place, this is not to put anything on you. This is to say God doesn't want you to stay there. God wants you to come into true freedom and liberty. And it comes through the grace of God. It's being clothed in Him. Do you understand that today, because of the grace of God, when we were worshiping Him, we weren't just singing to a far off God. See, God's heart for you is not to come to places like this, sing songs that maybe move you or give you goosebumps, but not realize that He's right here. My mom said something so, so profound. And I, yeah. If we come away from times like this talking about worship, did we really worship? But if we come away from times like this talking about Him, do you get what I'm saying? It's like, did we, did we see Him? Did we receive from Him? Did we touch Him? Did we engage with Him? Did we meet God? And here's the thing. Legalism wants to tell you that how can you speak like that about God? You touch God and, oh, come on. He's a Father. Do you think He went through what He went through on the cross just to have this like legalistic transaction with you for all of eternity? You think He went through everything He went through on the cross so that He could now you know, show you how, how good He is and then now it's your, your turn to see if you can show Him how good you are. And so now for the all of eternity, you must try and get it right. You think that's God? So why do we live that way? The moment that we're stuck or situation comes and life gets hard, finances maybe, there's a struggle around finances, whatever it is, life starts to shout at you. Where do you run? And if you make a mistake, where do you run? See, because legalism makes you run away until you feel like you got your act together. Then you feel like you can come back to God. Grace says, when or if I make a mistake, I run straight to the Father because I can receive righteousness. He can minister righteousness to me, which means I can disconnect from that thing straight away. That's where transformation happens. Grace transforms you. It's not behavior modification. It's not tweak and change and, and just try and correct how you express yourself. And this gospel message that we're talking about right now, this is what the world needs to hear. I think it was Michael Kulianos who said this. He said, you know, the gospel isn't God is good. I'm just waiting to see if there's any growls or snarls. <laughs> is it true? Yes. Is God good? Yes, of course He's good. But the gospel is Christ crucified and raised from the dead. The gospel is you died with Christ and you've been raised by faith in Him into newness of life. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, we had a, our first meeting discussing the youth group. Or, oh, we said we wouldn't say youth group. Youth movement. Because um, we don't want to start a youth group. Who wants to go to youth group? No, we want to start something that's alive and, and it's a movement of God on the earth for the next generation. I just want to go to Friday night and play Foursquare. Come on. <laughs> it's way more than that. We want to see a generation gripped with the gospel, right? But we were talking about this and, and, and just beginning to explore and say, man, what the, the next generation needs is the gospel. They need Jesus. They need the message of salvation. They need to understand that the only answer to what they are going to face over these next couple of years, the next decade, 
where the world's confused and screaming gender confusion and all this stuff at them, what they need to know is that they died and they've come alive in Christ. You know, I was saying I brought this Bible because I remember it was, it was reading this Bible where I started to realize the, the things that I want have changed when I gave my life to Jesus. You know, I didn't, I never ever set out to love places like the Middle East. It's, it's not like a, you know, that's just an example, but think of other areas. It's like nobody sets out to say, you know where I want to spend most of my time is like in Kaya Sands Township where I can just go and just love people. Nobody sets out to want to do those things, but something happens in your heart when you're intimate with him, when you've seen him, where, you know, it talks about it in John 15, that when we're abiding in him, you can ask what you desire and you'll have it. Now, we read that and go like, okay, so the key is abide, and then I can get the promotion and the job and the whatever, because if I'm abiding, then I get what I want. We've missed the whole thing. Abiding with him means that when I'm remaining in him, connected to him, and I've had the exchange, I've died to myself, I've come alive in him, it's his desires, but he's given them to me, and now they feel like mine. Do you see the difference? Now it's like, why am I weeping over Afghanistan? Why am I, am I weeping when I see the homeless person at the Roba? Why is my heart moved in compassion that I never had before this? Why do I want different things? Because you died, and Christ now lives inside of you. Do you know that the daily Christian life, how we live every single day with the Lord, can be described in one word, receive. In Romans chapter 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. Do you think, just keep it open there, I'm coming right back, I hope. Do you think, not do you think, it's just the truth, but I'm, I'm being pastoral. <laughs> Aren't you tired of a life governed by circumstance, situation, and the demands of this world? And somewhere in that life, you squeeze in home group, Sunday morning church, maybe a little bit of generosity sprinkled on top. And then we call it Christianity. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Aren't you tired of that? Maybe we should shoot the grind in the head once and for all. The grind, the grind. Because it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't help when you're looking at a church that's exhausted and depressed and confused and uncertain and don't know how to deal with things that are happening in the world and don't even have an opinion anymore or don't even have something to say about that because they're just so confused with all the noise and clutter in their life. 
See, the grace of God brings clarity and focus and simplicity. And you need to go and read Romans 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. You need to read them start to finish all together. Come on, if we're not reading our Bibles, you know, there might be simple questions. I know Rich and I were talking about this a while back. You know, sometimes you've got people who think that I only read my Bible when I feel the Lord tell me a specific verse to go and read. Oh, come on. That's great. God will do that. But we've got to be reading every day, right? It's both. It's, it's, it's getting into the Word and making sure I'm just getting this in me. I just want to, I want to learn. I want to know who He is. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit's leading me through the Scriptures and He's revealing things to me. It's, it's this life with Him, but it's not just this methodical thing. But if we're not in the Word, what, how do we expect to make disciples? What are, we, what are we discipling people in, right? But you need to go read this. There's a couple of Scriptures I'll pull out in a second, but you need to go and read this because this is the foundation of everything that we're going to do. God's mobilizing the church. He's mobilizing His bride. He's mobilizing His body right now. And it's the true church of Jesus Christ to carry the revelation of the Son and reveal Him to the earth. And we, So we need to understand the grace of God. Otherwise, you will always, hear me, you will always disqualify yourself. And you will live a life of up, down, up, down, up, down. Good week, bad week, good week, bad week. On the good weeks, I'm at every prayer meeting and I'm at the at church and I'm serving and I'm in the front and I'm yeah, jumping, whatever. And in the bad weeks, I'm like at the back, they're just, dear God, help me. Or, no offense to the people at the back. I love you. <laughs> God still moves in the back. Just teasing. <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah. But see, I touched on this in the beginning and I just have to carry on here a little bit. Hype fluctuates. God's not trying to hype you up for something. But a relationship that sustains you, a relationship with Jesus, walking in that intimacy where you're continually filled with a zeal that's not your own, with life that's not yours, it's His life, with energy that's not yours, a capacity that's not yours. You know, we can't say anymore we're measured by our capacities. Just winking at someone in that scene. <laughs> it's not our capacity anymore. Do you know your capacity is so weak? I just don't have capacity to do this at work. Or I don't have capacity to do this. Or I don't have capacity, whatever, whatever. I, I know I get it, and I feel that so often in my own life. But I'm realizing when I'm doing that, I'm doing it in my own. I'm trying not to look at the person. <laughs> I'm, doing it in my, I'm doing it in my own strength. It's okay, you don't, don't judge me, he's my best buddy, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do a fire tunnel for Jesse at the end of the service. I'm teasing. Do you, do you hear my heart, though? Do you think God wants to reach the whole world with your capacity? You know, I think, uh, I think, again, it was Michael Kulianis who said this, and I had a good laugh because I know this has come out of my own mouth, where we go like, the Lord told me to do this, but I just feel we need to use wisdom. <laughs> it's like, you know, God told us to, honestly, this has happened. In fact, if I can be so bold, it's because, see, we're a family. We don't regard each other according to the flesh. We can, we can be transparent and open. That's honesty. It's not exposing brokenness. It's honesty to say, hey, we're all in need of God. We love Him, right? But there, I remember our first trip to Turkey. There was not a single person in my life, including my beautiful, amazing family, who said go. 
because everything got rough, remember? It got tough and everything was closed. It's like you don't even know what's going to happen when you arrive. You might be thrown into some quarantine thing or whatever, you know, that under government regulations. And nobody could tell us what would actually happen. And so I'd go pray. And I'd go like, Lord, this is what's happening. And, and I'd feel the Lord go, but I told you, go. And then I'd come back and say, okay, the Lord said go. And I'd be like, no, everybody's feeling, no, not going to. Now, now, submission's important. I had to process this whole thing through two, over two weeks of like processing to the point where I even sat with my own wife and I said, babe, I need you to trust me. I've heard God. Like, oof. I've heard God, this makes no sense. And, and let me just be honest with you, when we landed in Turkey and suddenly police officers were escorting us around, all that was going through my head was, what, I'm such an idiot, I just brought my wife here. <laughs> right? And yet, like, moments would happen of the miraculous where God would break in and some random person who was obviously an official would walk up and say, no, you just come with me, come through here, stamp, stamp, get you through, and we're through the border and, or the, the customs, and you're like, we were just being, like, manhandled by two police officers, and the next moment we're, we've been stamped and put through where God begins to move. Now, that's the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, see, this is why you need accountability and, and because sometimes there's so many people in the church, no, I heard God and it's like, I don't think God told you to go into debt to buy that Ferrari. So, <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? So, there must be accountability. But listen to what I'm saying. We need, we need the, the foundation of grace, of knowing who we are in Christ, knowing that we're right with God, that we can hear Him, that He's speaking to us, living by His voice, being a, a people who are so given and radical, and it's really just normal Christianity, but that we're receiving from Him and being obedient to Him, not getting caught up in the voices of this world. You hear me? I don't know why I went down that trail, but someone needed to, to hear that. So God doesn't want you to do this by your own efforts, your own strength, your own capacity. Receive, 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 receive. You know, I really believe this. If you, if you see generals, moms, and fathers in the, in the faith right now who are doing incredible things, you, know, you look at them and you go, how, how do you do that day in and day out? Just giving, giving, giving of yourself, giving of yourself, giving of yourself. It's because they know how to receive. You know, Heidi Baker said something so profound. She said when her day got busier and busier, her hours grew more and more of time with the Lord. And she would sacrifice sleep to be with God to make sure that she had received from the Lord so she could give out that day. So if my day was eight hours nonstop, I need at least five hours, five, six hours in the secret place, which means, yeah, I'm up at 2 a.m. See, this is like, this is a different, I mean, I, I'm just being honest. I go, awake at 2 a.m., I will be asleep by 7 a.m. again. Like, <laughs> I, I, I need sleep, right? That's how I, but I, I listen to this, I go, but hold on. If I'm receiving from him and it's not my capacity and it's his, there's something supernatural about that place where I'm walking in his life, in his grace. I'm nearly done. Um, I really had planned to walk through chapter 5, 6, 7, 8 together, but you can do that. I'm going to read that scripture at the end. So we, we're talking about grace. We're talking about this because I, I really believe that what God's doing in 24-7 church and what's coming and what's ahead, He's asking us to build and reproduce a model that is light, that is easy, that's not a heavy burden. Are you with me? Like the, being a part of a local church should never be a burden. 
should never be heavy. should never be difficult. It can come with challenges, but that's what family is all about. You know, we, we speak about, and we'll teach into this in the coming weeks, but there's three, three main expressions of what we're building, what we're establishing. One, apostolic community. Two, 24-7 prayer and worship or a priestly rhythm of life, uh, meaning intimacy with God personally and corporately. And then three, a responsibility to preach the gospel to all nations. And you say, where do you get that from? Because we've seen it with the Moravians, but you can see it in the Bible in uh, Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2 uh, and 4. And then you can also see it in Antioch, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 13. You can see it in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. It's there every single time. But in Mark 11, when Jesus comes and, and our beautiful, beloved Jesus puts some whips together and starts whipping over tables and stuff, not people, tables, just to be clear. But he says something interesting. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Three things. House, prayer, all nations. What does a house speak of? Family. Household. Family. What, what happens in a family? There's responsibilities, roles, order. There's a father. There's a mother. There's children. There's a structure. So it's not just, we're the people of God. Let's just go and invade society. And, well, then you've got a bunch of scattered people. But no structure, godly structure, not wisdom of this world, godly structure where he can come and bring the government of God and express it through mankind. Household, family. What do they do? Well, prayer, intimacy with God. And then the last one, for all nations, that they take a responsibility to say, hey, this is what God wants, the family of God that's bringing the, or carrying the glory of God across the land. It's for all nations. So this is just biblical. People go, where do you get this stuff from? Well, it's just the Bible, right? It's just what Jesus wants. We just want to be the church that he's building, and we want to be who he's called us to be. But I promise you, try to do that without a foundation and understanding of grace, and it's going to start to get tiring. Because now you start to get into a priestly rhythm, but if it's not coming from a place of sonship, then it becomes duty. And then it's quiet time for duty. I, I need to do this. Or it's uh, prayer room time out of duty. And we've, then we've missed the whole point. The fragrance stops. We want the fragrance of Jesus to be released in the city. You're hearing what I'm saying? And so I know that the, the mandate over 24-7 church is to be a people that are rooted and established in the grace of God. And, and from that place to begin to reach our city, to reach our nation, to reach the nations of the world. And I want to say this very clearly. We are called to be an apostolic and prophetic church. An apostolic church is not a big church. You can be a big church and be apostolic, but that's not the measure. The measure isn't how big the church is. That's your apostolic print. An apostolic church is a catalytic one. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> ah, a, catalytic, <laughs> a catalytic church, what is, what is that church mobilizing? What does that church reproduce? Do you hear what I'm saying? What's the impact of that church? That's what my heart's after. I'm going, it's never been about trying to fill buildings. But it just so happens that the more people get saved and discipled, you need more and more space or you need to plant more churches. So that's always going to happen, but it's a byproduct of what we're about as a house. I always say, we don't want to fill buildings with people. We want to fill people with God. That's, that's the, the intention. And it's only by the grace of God that that can happen anyway. But so, you know, maybe you heard today about these trips and these mission trips and things. You go like, why would a little church in North Riding, Johannesburg, 
be sending people to Turkey and Iraq and Egypt and uh, all these places. Why would you do that? Well, something happens when you get close enough or close to the Lord. We begin to catch His heart in the same way that your heart begins to burn for your neighborhood. And let's just make that clear. I, don't, I think we've missed something if our heart's burning for uh, unreached regions, but we don't burn for our neighbors. We don't burn for our work environments. We don't burn for the person down the street. This is for people. We're talking about people. Nations are people. South Africa is a nation. And first and foremost, we're, we're called to this nation. So hear me when I'm saying this, but suddenly it begins to matter. And it's the grace of God that made it matter. I, I, that's what I'm trying to communicate today. It's, it, it's the grace of God that transforms us. It's the grace of God that, that in my heart it, it, it electrifies or, or amplifies this, this desire to see every person know the goodness of God and to come into the resurrection life, newness of life. Are you with me? And so in Romans chapter 5, 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, say by faith, by faith. justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, we have also obtained access by faith, there it is again, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's, I mean, that's as clear as it gets. You've been justified by faith. You believe, He justifies you, and it's by faith that you now have access into the glory of God. And the glory that we read about, that we know, we see in the book of Revelation, which we're doing as a Bible study, you see it in, in some of the uh, prophets in the Old Testament. The glory that's going to cover the earth. See, I think, uh, if I can just drop this seed in our hearts to let it start to shift our thinking. If we're crying out for some sort of external move to come and, and like rest across the whole earth, we've missed it. Because the glory that's going to cover the nations, it's the glory that He's put inside of His people. Are you with me? It's why I say, man, I know when we're crying out for revival, I get it, I know, but I just want to make sure what we're crying out for is that we would align with what He's done. Every time there's been a, an awakening, an outpouring, and a move of God on the earth in power, it's been because the people of God come into alignment and agreement with what God has already done. Not trying to get God to do something again. Are you with me? So can you, can you see the potential of what unlocks when the church comes into the righteousness of God and goes, oh, I am the righteousness of God. Where does my agreement go? Into what He's given me. Now that I agree and I'm choosing, that's what I'm going to believe. I'm not going to listen to the lies. I'm going to walk here. We can truly be the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you that this is for you. What I'm about to say, this is for your life. That Jesus, when He commissions us, He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. That's for you. Like, we just got to, I had to, this week, just remind myself again of that. Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he told me to do that. Go heal the sick. He didn't say go pray for the sick. He said go heal them. Go heal the sick. Go raise the dead. This is like Christianity 101, raise the dead. So how do you do that? Well, you, that person has to be right with God. Well, it's a good thing he gave you that. Now when you go and you begin to minister and you begin to release what's inside of you, you do it from a place of knowing I'm right with God. I'm standing in the righteousness of God. So my heart today, there's so many scriptures. Please go read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, and we'll get to this over the next couple of weeks. But my heart today is that you would know, first and foremost, that you are so loved by the living God that He made a way when there seemed to be no, no way for you, no hope for you, you were broken, lost, and without any hope, He made a way, not just 
to cover your mistakes and your sins, but He's actually given you a gift, and it's called the righteousness of God. You look like Him. What are you going to believe? Who are you going to listen to? There's a, there's a war right now for your yes. Who are you going to say yes to? You say yes to Jesus. You say yes to the finished work of the cross. Insecurities fall off. Brokenness falls away. Addictions fall away. Suddenly you step into freedom. You step into strength. You step into power. And it's not yours, it's His. You step into capacity. So now, when you're an awesome leader in business, and God's using you in new spheres, I'm going to use Him because He's a legend. I'm going to say nice things about you. Now, when God's promoting you and giving you more influence and, and, and more authority and responsibility, suddenly you begin to operate in a way that's like, how do you do that? Well, it's not me. I'm the righteousness of God. There's a capacity. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And just to save myself, starting prayer meetings in his business. Come on. Starting little prayer groups and getting people stirred up. This is what God can do in your sphere of influence where you are just starting, just little acts of obedience, not your capacity, his capacity. And when you're feeling tired and, you've, and life is getting loud, where are you going to go? Receive. You go lock yourself in your office or in your room or in your car and you just receive say, Lord, thank you that I am the righteousness of God. Situation and circumstance is not going to tell me how to live. I'm found in you. I give you my yes. Now when I get out of this car, when I open that office door, all of heaven is coming out of this room with me and these people are about to encounter Jesus. Are you with me? That's what God wants for you. So even right now, my prayer is that you would feel the word of the Lord touch your heart, that the living God would awaken you. And I want you to know this. Do not settle for life without an encounter with the living God. Do not settle for life without encounters with the living God because encounters will provoke a response in your life.